This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. This is Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth and continuing our Food for Thought series by chatting again to Liz Walker about one of the most important aspects of wind playing, breathing. Hello again, Liz. Hello, Claire. So this is quite a tricky one to talk about because I suppose we need to talk about the, the what, why and how. And breathing is natural or a natural function that is often disturbed by flute playing. So sometimes it seems that our natural way of breathing disappears often when we try and increase our air supply. So it's it's odd that something so natural can often cause so many problems. So where should we start? Well, I was um, thinking about, you know, um, maybe trying to uh, help by sending our listeners out to some of the many YouTube clips there are. And there are so many. And I was just having a little exploration and listening to a few. My husband, uh, who was here, said, goodness gracious, exactly what you've just said, Claire. How come something so automatic and natural can sound so complex? Um, So I think a lot of people have tried on YouTube. And there, as I say, there are many, many, many examples you can go to. I started looking up uh, Breathing for Singers uh, and I was sent to a very good one, actually, a Gori Voice Studios, uh, which I looked up. And one of the things I loved on that YouTube clip was was the visualization. Because I think when I'm teaching breathing, um, I'm very conscious of the fact that actually, you know, we, we don't have any senses around our diaphragm. It's not something that that will ever, you know, maybe it's good that there aren't any. You can't get a sore diaphragm. You can't have a painful diaphragm. There's no senses attached to it. So obviously, you know, it's quite hard to visualize. And I think a lot of our difficulties in teaching something that you can't feel or touch. And of course, you know, we... Maybe uh, you are the same, but when I learned, you know, I had a teacher who squeezed me on the middle, but we can't put our hands anywhere near our students anymore. So we have to use a visualisation. I did find it very interesting to actually look at a video that showed me where my lungs were, where this mystery diaphragm that teachers are endlessly talking about, where it actually is. So, So I found that very useful, but very, very quickly, you get down... Uh, a, a, a complicated road of instructions, uh, which I would really, really hope to avoid, I must say. Maybe we should sort of say it's breathing. We're not just talking about breathing in. We're also talking about breathing out. And that production of the airstream is, is central to how we play well. So it affects the tone colour, dynamics, intonation, resonance, projection, vibrato. So the Breathing is so crucial. So I also think it's it's great to go and look at some YouTube clips and make an assessment yourself of how someone breathes because there's a technical side and an emotional side as well, but I think we're going to mostly talk about technical side today. Why don't we, first of all, just concentrate maybe about beginners and what yes. might we do for teaching beginners about breathing? 
Well, I think it's uh, crucial, obviously, to tie the breathing up with, with basic posture. I think it's really, really, really important to um, teach the two things at the same time. Uh, so obviously with a with a beginner, you want to make sure that their setup is really, really good, that they're standing really well, uh, that they're holding their flute very well. And in that, uh, you are exploring that release you then get with the spine in the right place, with the chest lifted, with the rib cages able to move. And I think a lot of imagery should be used. Uh, I remember many, many years ago, um, at, uh, uh, it was actually in a masterclass, somebody coming in and talking about a clown's really big baggy trousers and trying to breathe to connect to those big baggy trousers. And I loved that. And that, I took that one away with me because I think, you know, depending on the age of the child, but that, that's a really good one to, to have an image of. Or maybe a rubber ring in, in a swimming pool that you might, you know, if you're starting with somebody quite young, they might still connect with the idea of having a rubber ring around their waist. And, and feeling that expansion there. So I think it does depend on the age. And, and when I'm teaching adults, I find that a lot of my adult students are already doing yoga or Pilates. And so they're already quite body aware and, and you can just connect that into maybe some of the exercises that they're already quite familiar with in yoga, in, in Pilates. And, and you can, again, connect it to the whole body so that you've got your spine engaged, you've got your shoulders low, you've got your rib and your chest lifted, and then you can start really visualizing. And I think, you know, a little bit like my Pilates teachers, I hate wearing those really, really, really clingy tops because I'm a bit, you know, wow, I want to see all of that. But I, and once I wore it to my Pilates teacher and she said, yes, I love that top list. I can now see what's happening. And I think, you know, that's quite, quite useful for us to know that too. As teachers, maybe if we can be, you know, in, in a top that can maybe show that expansion and allow our students, you know, if you're standing quite near, I remember my teacher at Guildhall used to take these enormous breaths right, standing right next door to me and you couldn't help but want to breathe like she breathed because you could... You know, you could see it, you could you could absorb it. So I think, you know, lots of imagery, but at the end of the day, you know, breathing with your students, standing right next door to them, taking those enormous breaths, doubling your size almost as you stand next door to them. They'll see that then and, and follow by example. I also think that you have to think almost that your your whole body is your instrument which brings yes. in, as you said, the posture. And I always think about this sort of a, a good circle. If your posture is good, your breathing is good, and then your tone is good. So you have to think about sometimes when you hear someone with that, without too good a sound, you can almost always link it back to something to do with posture or breathing. So, Absolutely. So we have to definitely have to look at that, look at the posture, and then hopefully the breathing starts to take care of itself. I remember we, we did things like you, if you lie on the floor and put books on your tummy, and take the breath in so the books go up and down to show you that those are the muscles that should move and your, your shoulders don't move because you know always are, we were being told don't let your shoulders go up don't let, you know every time you took up take a breath don't let your shoulders go up sometimes that can make you tense so yeah. you, with each student you have you've got to sort of almost literally play it by ear sometimes what you say will will help sometimes it will distract but thinking about the, the technique of it 
as you said, the diaphragm, you, you can't feel it, but it's a muscle. The muscles work by contracting. So once it's contracted, it can't do anything else except relax and be pushed back up by your tummy muscles. So yeah. if you don't allow that muscle to relax, it will it will stay tense and lead to lots of discomfort. So I've also come across students who have heard that you've got to let it get fatter, not thinner when you breathe in, which is right. And then they they can't let those muscles relax to push back up. So they tense up and they end up without any of this. Sometimes I don't like to use that word support, but you know, there's nothing to push the yeah. air out with. You, you have to sort of go with each individual. So, but anyway, with beginners, yes, I agree. Make it as fun as possible. Sometimes it's, you might think you, you when you breathe, you're filling a jug of water and you're filling, of course, the bottom half of the jug before the top half. Sometimes you could get I know we're not we're not allowed to touch anymore, which is which is right, but it hinders us a little bit. But if you yes. get one of these elasticated belts and put it around your student, the student puts it around their tummy, and you say when you breathe in, let the belt feel like you're it's expanding. That can yeah. help them feel the right muscles, because it's also using your ribs. I mean, there were how many ribs are there? Twenty four. I think possibly more <laughs> on each side and the ribs a are lot a lot and they've got you've got the the intercostal muscles on either side and when you breathe in your diaphragm contracts well the messages come from your brain first your diaphragm contracts and your tummy moves out a bit but also the muscles on the outside of your ribs contract to allow your your, your lungs to expand and when you breathe out the muscles on the inside of your ribs contract to reduce the space inside and your abdominal muscles contract to push your diaphragm up. It's good to learn how to move these muscles. I used to tell students, you know, if you went for a run around the block and get terribly out of breath, you'd be breathing beautifully because you'd need a lot more oxygen and you automatically breathe more deeply and fully and the ribs move and your abdominal muscles move. And is, did, I think the other slight problem that we have Claire, is that when, you know, when you've got a student who's never used these muscles, you know, you're, I always say to them, it's, it's a bit like, you know, asking me to run five miles when I can't yet run one mile. You cannot uh, expand uh, that diaphragm muscle if it's the first time of asking. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of children are in this sort of, um, sort of spiral of, of not understanding because actually there's nothing there that's working uh, which is why I sometimes think that you know just breathing with them to begin with rather than trying to explain it or you know just get into the habit of taking that well of course it's 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 more than a habit for us we do it unconsciously but let them experience that that's what you're doing and have those games it, it you know as part of the warm-ups of playing long notes, you know, obviously not make them feel stupid by holding your note for 30 seconds or something when they can do two seconds. But, you know, each week, just just incrementally expand that that length of note um, and, and maybe not even have to talk about it then at the beginning, you know, until they've really got playing. Uh, because I think a lot of attention on something that hasn't developed it can actually be quite negative for them because they they can't feel that muscle because it's you know it's not being used and 
And what a shame, you know, with any of us with newborn babies, you know, there's your lovely baby with, with its diaphragm going up and down. And it is such a shame that as, you know, in, in normal life, we don't need that that huge diaphragm. And, and, and in some ways, I quite like highlighting that to them as well. You know, you're going to join this elite club of super breathers, um, which we are, you know, and, and I think that's another thing, a lot of negative feeling about breathing, when in fact, we need to celebrate the fact that we're playing a wind instrument. And this is, you know, so exciting, because the breath in our music is so important to the music, to the shape of the phrase. I mean, uh, anyone who's, who's studied the piano, and I remember my piano teacher saying to me, you need to make the music breathe. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, <laughs> how come I'm not? Because I'm a wind player, you know. But in a, so many ways, we're in such a privileged um, position in being flute players that breathe because our music needs to breathe. And we do it automatically as flute players. And yet there's so much tension, isn't there, created by, you know, as soon as I, I mention the word diaphragm to myself, I go, ah! <laughs> Which is big. I'm, I'm a great believer in not talking about, the, not mentioning that word at all. Yeah. Um, and just saying, you know, when you, when you take a breath, try and get fatter. And when you breathe out, try and get thinner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and do the exercise lying on the floor or... Or, or blowing up balloons, blowing up balloons, and sitting, sitting, and putting your head on your knees and taking a breath in. Feel the muscles that that move, and just yep. do it one little step at a time. Yes. Because as we said in our previous uh, podcast, it's one skill at a time, and not to overload the brain. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, they need they need a lot of air just to make that initial note yes. as beginners, yes. and you know, that you can tackle, if you like, the the nuts and bolts of, of breathing when they're a little bit more developed, maybe. You know, as you say, it depends on each each individual child, but you know, it 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 is interesting as the most advanced students that I come across, it is the breathing that becomes, you know, more and more challenging. And it's this is a journey for them for the rest of their playing life on the flute. You know, I I don't know any professional player who isn't obsessed with breathing. I mean, it's 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 our challenge. It's it's what we sign up for, and 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 you don't want to overburden a, a new flute player with with your own. And 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 we should maybe recognise as teachers that we have our own hang ups. Is that too strong a word <laughs> about breathing? You know, it it's it it is a quest. We always have frustrating moments where in a concert maybe that you've only just recently performed your breathing has let you down or you know you've got a frustration that you can't find your sound because your breathing's shallow at the moment you know it is a lifelong quest and I think sometimes our students need to be just 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 liberated from any potential challenges that you might feel about your own breathing and just be inspiring. I mean, it, it's it's definitely important to think of the advantages as much as the disadvantages of our instrument needing vast amounts of breath. And all these things help our students become more aware. And I think if you're more aware, you're basically halfway there. You know, yes. tightening the self-awareness bit by bit. So for beginners, it's still sticking to beginners now that you just use bit by bit. And sometimes you will go a little bit further because of something that crops up within a lesson. And I think if you start from this point of getting the posture really good, 
the breathing will often take care of itself. And it's and also holding the, the, holding the flute because if you're holding the flute too close to the body, too high, too low, it affects yeah. the posture and then the breathing is not so not so natural. So there's lots of things that we can look at for beginners without even talking about the breath as such. Sort of yeah. just posi- positional things and being aware of how getting the students aware of how they stand and learn to feel the muscles. I used to do a thing where you'd, I'd say, you know, if, without the flute, okay, if you stand on one foot and feel where the tension arises and then stand on the other foot, feel the tension arise and stand on both feet and see whether you can release that tension and things like, you know, if you lift your shoulders, how does it, how does it feel? Do you feel, do you feel that the muscles working too hard and then let them relax? So you become a little bit aware of how muscles work and how they feel. Because sometimes when the students are playing, they're sort of overcome with all the things they have to do and they stop thinking about how their body feels. So it's a, yeah. it's a whole body experience, really, this, isn't it, with breathing? And also, I think a, another crucial element of our teaching of breathing is also watching them in, in an orchestral environment. A lot of our students get into, you know, county youth orchestras or adults in, in, in amateur orchestras and our more senior students in the National Youth Orchestra or whichever orchestra it is that they're, they're ambitiously trying to get into. And then they get into the orchestra and they you get those sort of moments where the conductor might be talking to the string players or to the brass. And so that, you know, our woodwind players all slump down in their seats quite rightly, you know, they, they need to turn off because it could be a long half hour wait until suddenly they've got to play their wonderful solos and they forget. I, I, you know, I watch it so many times that they forget that suddenly they've got to swap out of being nice and relaxed and, and slumped in their chair to completely engaged in releasing again that space, lifting the, the, the chest and expanding all the rib cage so that you can take that breath in. And, and they forget that that actually takes quite a long time to build, build back up. And sometimes, of course, you know, the conductor goes, right, but... 59 and, and you're straight in and you haven't got time to really think about it but so often you have got that time just to rebuild everything back up again and engage in the same amount of awareness that you have been doing in your lessons when it comes into the orchestra uh, because it's vital absolutely vital you brought up another point there because most lessons almost all lessons are conducted with us standing up and then yeah, most of our playing is spent sitting down. And, and I remember um, coaching a, a youth orchestra, a, a wind orchestra, many, many years ago. And we'd had a, a session in the morning, just a sectional sec, uh, section. And there were, oh, there were maybe 10 flute players. And we were talking about posture when you're sitting down. So if you're, when, you, when you're playing the flute, you're the, there's about a 45 degree angle from the end of your flute to your shoulder. And so if the chair in the, in the orchestra is facing the conductor, you can find that your, the end of your flute is almost sitting on your right shoulder. And the best thing is to turn your chair to the right so that you can then, your flute is facing the, Straight it's on. parallel to yeah. the, the front. Yeah, yeah. And so we spent a long time in this sectional rehearsal talking about where to put the chairs. And then we got to the afternoon and all, I was really pleased because all the flute players moved their chairs, angled around, their, their posture was perfect. And the conductor said, flutes, what are you doing? Move your chairs. Ah, so no. 
Yes, so we had to cover that until the conductor understood. But you often see in groups and youth orchestras and school orchestras where the flute player's right arm is hanging over the back of the chair. (gasps) Don't. Because there's no room for them. They have to, you have to adjust your space so that your posture is good. And so the work starts before you play a note, getting yourself set up, making sure that the angles are all right. Absolutely. right angle between the end of your flute and your shoulder and that you can breathe. And the chairs. I mean, who who invented the bucket chair? (laughs) May May I have permission to shoot them? Well, there's some very nice ones. I'm sorry. Uh, I can't. <laughs> designer ones are really lovely, but not for not for flute playing. Not for flute playing. As soon as you sit in a chair and you want to be tipped backwards, you know you've got to really position yourself right on the edge. I mean, on the edge, exactly. Right on the edge is where I I like to be. I do know some players who like to push right back so that they're they're really stable in 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 the chair. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm a hang on the edge. But yes, all of these things need thinking about. <laughs> so you get your pencil out, your flute out. I always think of rubber as essential, and then start thinking. Okay, you know, sitting down and and I like connection with the floor, with my feet. So dependent on on what chair and what height it is, I really want to still think that it's you know through my foot, through my heels through the ball of my foot, that balance. I still like the balance through the floor. Absolutely. There's a bit, that stability. So when you're that standing two yeah. feet, there's, there's yeah. only people you see standing on one leg and they don't really realise. And then- <laughs> <laughs> I'm partly jealous, actually, Claire, because I, I still can't stand on one leg, but that's my, <laughs> that's my personal problem. So I, there's a bit of me that's a little bit jealous that they can be that balanced on one foot, that they can still manage to take a really good breath. But, yeah, but you're right. I mean, they can't, actually. I mean, you really, really need to respect your spine, I think, when you breathe. You know, you've got to respect the fact that actually that diaphragm is attached through the through the ribs into your spine, and if you um, challenge the spine by standing on one foot or crossing the legs, ah, yes, yes, absolutely. Not. <laughs> the only person who can stand on one leg, if, of course, is Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. We'll he, allow that. We'll allow that because yeah. it's absolutely stunning. But, <laughs> yes, it's for, so. For teachers who are listening, what we're trying to say then is, if there's a problem with the breathing, look first at the posture and make sure everything is balanced and the position of the flute and where the music stand is in relation to how the student is, is standing uh, or sitting. And then talking about some ideas of, you know, clown's trousers or filling a jug of water or an elasticated belt and just doing little steps at a time so you don't overload. Someone once said to me, to drive a car, you don't need to know how the engine works. So, which is right. We don't need to know exactly how all the muscles work, but a little bit goes a long way. You know, a little bit of know-how does go a long way. Yeah. One of my first masterclasses in one of the international summer schools, I was very young. I was probably only 21 or 22. And in those days, everyone used to say, push with your diaphragm. So yeah. I was talking about breathing and saying, and then, use your diaphragm to, to push because I was saying I wasn't going to get too complicated. And, and someone in the class said, no, you don't. And they were, they were medical students. And then they proceeded to tell us. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. what happened. Yeah. And that's where we thought, <laughs> well, you know, 
you don't need to know exactly how the car engine works in order to drive it. And you don't need to know exactly about all those different muscles, but you need to have a basic knowledge and hopefully things will work out. Let's move on from beginners then and talk about maybe somebody more advanced. I was going to bring up, there's a, um, an exercise that I first read about in one of the Peter Lucas Graph books. No, I don't. Check it book. It's a really interesting book. And he talks about how to get your breathing more natural, if you like. And he says that when you are, it's a bit like when I've talked earlier on about running around the block when you're out of breath, you tend to breathe a little bit better, a bit, bit more deeply. And he has an exercise where he, he would get students to, without a flute, to uh-huh. exhale to the point of basically empty and then yeah. stop, not to do anything, to stop and wait for a few seconds until your body is saying we need some oxygen. And then you release and the air is drawn in in a, a quite loud inhalation because your body needs that. And all the right muscles seem to work. Automatically work. And then he does it with the flute that you you play a note. So say play a note until uh, you could do it over four beats and say by the end of those four beats, I'm going to be basically out of air. And then you stop, but don't move and do another count of four beats and then release and let the inhalation work before playing the next note. So I think if, if, if any of our listeners are stuck in how to get the mechanism working, that's a little exercise that might help. And it's very life-affirming. Again, it's back to that positivity. If I've had that exercise demonstrated on some pupils of mine when uh, Wissam Bustani came over to Wales Cathedral School to, teach, to do a masterclass with my students, and he gets them to play to the end of the phrase that they can't make, already can't make, and then hold for five more beats. They're already looking pale at the thought of it. (laughs) Um, But in the quest to do that, absolutely right. You notice then exactly which muscles are moving to let that air in. You recognise that actually you've got much further than, than you think. So we often breathe in a panic state of, oh, I'm going to need to breathe when actually you've got a bit more air and using, finding where that last little bit of air is, is actually exactly, of course, what that diaphragm does because it's allowing you to control the release of air and finding you that last little bit. That's that's its job. It finds it. And then when it finds it, then you really recognise where that breath is and, and where it feels in your body. So I think it is a really worthwhile exercise. Also in belief, you know, I, I'm terrible. I mean, I always take a breath just in case, rather than actually feeling that I can go and go and go and go. So I, I think that is a really useful one. I think the other thing to say, which is maybe, you know, we're talking about the the really advanced students here, but I do think that physical exercise, I know that sounds really stupid, but I always send my students at Wales, you know, into the swimming pool, go for a run. Their physique, unfortunately, nowadays, it just needs to be superb. You know, if they're going to survive, they've got to be physically as, you know, as fit as they can possibly get. 
because these muscles that we're talking about respond to exercise. And although playing the flute is great, a huge exercise, it's a physical thing. It, um, I mean, it's one of my great, uh, actually really touch on something that gets me so cross that, you know, in a in a sports academy, in a specialist sports school, school you would have a suite of physiotherapy rooms. If you're going on tour with the English rugby team, you will have your on-tour physiotherapists. Mm-hmm. But musicians, you know, we hold our flutes up in sometimes really cold rooms and we come home and the next day we can barely move our shoulder blades. And we think, oh, I've done something wrong. No, <laughs> no, 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 you haven't done anything wrong. You've just played the flute for a really long time <laughs> in a very cold place. And, you know, your muscles are going to respond to that. And I think we don't take ourselves, we're not allowed to take ourselves as seriously as we should. Mm-hmm. And we don't recognize that actually this this effort of breathing is going to shift muscles that are going to get, you know, quite tired. And the more exercise we can do, the, the better shape we can be in, actually, the, the more robust we will be as breathing physical instrumentalists. And if you're continuing on into a career in music, then it means that you're more likely to have the energy to keep going because it's, it's a tough, tough business. Yeah. It really, well, really is. We talked then about breathing in. I just want to look about breathing out because once you've got the breath in you also need to control the breath going out I used to like to think of it use the analogy of a string player's bow yes that you know the speed and the weight of the of the the bow on the string relates very much to how we play a nice little exercise again that you can do with kids as much as anyone advance is to help control this breath if you just take again maybe take four beats and get your students to first to put their hands on their on their hips so they can feel if their muscles are moving and to breathe in slowly over a beat of four and then breathe out slowly on a beat of four and trying to fill up completely on the four in and empty completely on the four out and then change the beat. So say, OK, I want you to breathe in now over a beat of six and breathe out on a beat of four or breathe in on a beat of two, breathe out on a beat of eight. So that you mix up, a bit like playing a piece. So they get little used to controlling how how quickly they need to exhale or how slowly they need to inhale. Because every piece you play needs a different breath when you start. Every phrase needs a different breath when you start. It's not just fill up till you're busting. It's in terms of the emotional impact of the music. I wasn't sure we were going to get onto this, but if you're playing something that's very slow and calm and soothing, you want a breath that reflects that. Yeah. Breathing in the character of the piece is, yeah. is so important. Uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's, um, I was doing a Matthew Passion because it's passion season. Um, and the wonderful soprano soloist, um, Mary Bevan, uh, on this occasion, she uh, said to the orchestra, oh, could we have this piece a little bit slower? Because I need to, I, I'm, I'm struggling to breathe. Now, most people would think, hold on, you want to go faster if you're struggling to breathe but actually if you go slower of course you've then got a little bit more time to breathe because you're going to breathe slower and that slower breath will take you further so as soon as she said that I thought oh I wonder how many people are sort of scratching their heads going 
doesn't she want to go faster? <laughs> she said that completely the wrong way, you know, as, as sometimes we do say things uh, the opposite to what we mean. But no, I, I mean, I, I totally related to that. And, in, and indeed, because the flutes were accompanying her, as soon as we did it slower, I had more time to breathe as well. So it's, it's interesting because your, your breath needs to reflect the emotional needs of the music, not be disturbed by your emotions. So, you know, if you think about what your breath is like if you're, if you're angry or frightened or calm or tired or nervous, think about what happens to your breath because we, we have different breaths for all these emotions. Yeah. And then depending on what piece you're playing, think about the emotion in that. So I would use the example of if you're playing Poulenc Last Movement, Poulenc Sonata Last Movement, you wouldn't go, oh, pop, because it's the, the first note of that, you'd go, pop. And if you were playing the middle movement, the slow movement, you'd have a very slow breath in before, before you started that. And I think certainly I found that younger players really respond to this feeling of, talking about, you know, their feeling before they breathe in, like if you feel really calm, you know, and if you feel really sleepy or you feel really excited or you're out of breath, see what happens to the breath and it helps them back to this thing talked earlier about being a little bit more self-aware. It's an interesting one, the emotions. So we talked about the technical aspects of breathing. We also need to talk about the emotional aspect. Because, I mean, and the other um, thing, of course, Claire, is as soon as you are nervous, what happens yeah. to your yeah. breathing? And that's, you know, that's that's a quite a big shock, I think, to our uh, young performers who maybe haven't performed before or haven't been nervous about their performance before. And then suddenly they get to playing and are astonished that they... They can't breathe like they used to be able to in their practice room. So what happens when you're nervous is, is really important to recognise as well, you know, how that affects your breathing. OK, Liz, well, listen, I think, I think that's probably enough for our listeners to take in today. Thank you so much. What I'm going to do is just have a little recap then. So we're talking about looking at posture before we look at the breathing because they're linked and to... Think about the posture, not only when you're standing up, but also when you're sitting down. To not get too technical about how we breathe, unless it's an adult student or an advanced student who really wants to know. To direct people towards some of the YouTube performances to see how well or not so well people breathe. So that you can think, oh yes, I can see that's not so good. I need to try and do something different. Or, oh, that was a really good breath. I must try and take that on board and then little exercises to try and encourage better breathing but not to go on too much about it it's a little part of each lesson and then maybe yeah. when people are playing and that you might just remind them do you remember what we talked about about the posture and what's happened to your posture now and then finally the emotional breathing as well because sometimes you know if someone's arrived really late for a lesson and they're all out of breath the breathing is is shot to pieces. So you can talk about that's a good talking point, you know, or if you've yep. got someone who's sort of almost comatose because they're so laid back, see if you can get them a bit more engaged by giving them something a bit more exciting to play. As always, if anyone's got any questions for, for me and Liz, please send them to flutepodcasts at gmail.com or you can message us on our Talking Flutes Facebook page. We'll always answer. And on Twitter and Instagram with our handles at Talking Flutes, at Claire Flute and at Flute. 
So thank you, Liz, again. Absolutely wonderful. I don't Great. know what we're doing next time, but we'll have a little think and, and uh, we'll be back. More food for thought. More food for thought. Thank you, Liz. Bye. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.